Um, we're actually going to do the entire um, chapter of Acts 10 today. So you might be going like, whoa, that's a lot. Yes, it is. It's a lot. But don't worry, we're not going uh, to make it too crazy. We're going to kind of zoom through it, and then we're going to come back next week and check on it. So good morning. Um, today we're back in the book of Acts. Our text for today is Acts chapter 10. It's a fairly long passage, but it's, it's all one lengthy narrative about something super important. One of the biggest revelations to occur in the early church. So if you would, uh, please turn there. And um, like I said, we're going to read the whole chapter today, but don't worry, I'm not going to read it all through at once and then go back through it. Um, we're just going to, we're going to take it a chunk at a time like we often do. And here's the, just the game plan for that while the kids are finding bingo pictures. Um, when we take that chunk, that chunk of text, we're going to, we're going to briefly discuss that piece. And then we're going to take one particular point out of that and, and, and discuss that and then move on to the next chunk. And, and that's why if you're looking at your bulletin insert, there's an additional notes section and uh, it doesn't have any fill in the blanks, okay? It's, it is just the scripture reference with some space next to it so you can write down anything that, that resonates with you. Um, today is, is, is an overview of this chapter. Next week we're going to go deeper into a particular part that I, I just didn't feel like I had enough time to adequately cover today. So uh, regarding the outline section of the insert, there is a theme, okay? There's a theme in this chapter. We're going to flesh it out as we go. And that theme is that God has the prerogative to do what he wants with his creation and with his creatures. And in case anyone isn't familiar with that word prerogative, um, anybody alive in the late 80s remember that song? Yeah, man, I kept singing that in my head as I was writing this. Um, and then Cornelius, it was, it was one of the two. I just kept singing it in my head. But that word prerogative is, is defined as the exclusive right or power to command, decide, rule, or judge. So God, in other words, has the right to do as he so desires. And we're going to see that is ultimately a very good thing that he does have that right. So uh, the first prerogative, the first sovereign right of God's that we're going to look at today is his right to choose. His right to choose. What exactly does that mean? You know, we look at the Old Testament. Uh, we see that God chose. God selected a specific uh, family or, or, or group of people to himself and for himself. For the sake of making them holy so that he might uh, be glorified in all the earth through his relationship with this people. So who are we talking about? What? Abraham, right, the nation of Israel, starting with, with Abram, okay? The promise given to Abram is realized through his son Isaac, uh, then Jacob, and then Jacob's descendants, the 12 tribes. Uh, and Scripture tells us that God didn't choose, in fact, if you, if you look at Abram's life and Isaac's life, you go, yeah, no joke, and Jacob's life. God didn't choose them uh, because of their morality or because of, of their capability, or any other factor that we can see. In fact, it, it often seems like God chose them in spite of their qualities. And there's other times, though, where we read of a person uh, in Israel who was godly, who was upright. Um, but unfortunately, they're kind of few and far between, which is part of what makes today's story unique. So uh, with, with that, just kind of as an intro, let's pray, and then we'll begin in verse 1. Father God, I just ask in Jesus' name for everyone that's here, for everyone that's watching online, uh, for anyone who listens to the podcast later, God, I pray that you will open each of our hearts. Help us to be receptive soil. Help us uh, as, as the word is, is planted. Let us receive it humbly. Let it uh, take root and bear fruit, Father, in our lives that we might glorify you. We ask, Father, that uh, I know that there's people 
um, that are out today traveling and whatnot. We pray, Father, for travel mercies on them. And uh, there's one specific person. Uh, it's really on my heart this morning. Um, and you know he's going through a rough time. I just ask that you, you bless him right now, Lord, and help him to feel your presence. Father God, uh, just give us your mercy as we study your word. And I thank you for the intense privilege of being able to preach your word to your people through the power of your spirit. Thank you for using this flawed vessel. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. All right, so, so here's a little backstory on, uh, on this guy. Cornelius was a Roman soldier with a hundred men under him. Uh, that hundred men was called a centuria, and each, it, each centuria was one-sixth of a cohort. So he was in command of a sixth of the Italian cohort, uh, which was apparently stationed in Rome. And then there were ten cohorts in a legion. So he's, he's stationed in uh, Caesarea, and obviously as, as a Roman, Cornelius was not Jewish. And yet we read that he was a devout man. What does devout mean? Dedicated. Someone fully committed to their faith. And Luke says he feared God, and not only that, but he apparently led his entire household to fear God as well. And that, that would mean his wife, that mean his kids, I mean any servants in his house. They would have all believed in the Jewish God and tried to live according to what they understood about the Jewish God. And so Cornelius was, was obedient to the light that he had. You've heard that, that phrase probably. Okay? He was obedient to the light that he had, and he led others in obedience. Now, giving alms mean, it means sharing your money with people in need or your stuff. And, and the fact that he gave generously meant that he was a gracious person. And, of course, being constantly in prayer is a sign that he, he was actively seeking a relationship with the true God, even though he didn't have the full picture at this point. Now, now here's the crazy thing, okay? Cornelius was fully committed to obeying God. He was kind and giving to others, and he was striving to know God better, and yet, he wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't even a Christian. Now, I want you to take a quick self-inventory. Do you feel out-Christianed by this non-Christian? Maybe just a little? You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Reading about this made me think about just how, how far I fall short of God's standard. And thankfully, though, we're saved by grace through faith and not our works. And so, none of us, we, hopefully we understand this, none of us meet God's standard apart from the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Amen? You understand that? It's, it's through the blood of Christ. And, and as a good guy, uh, Cornelius, you know, everybody apparently liked him, but as good as he was... He was not yet a born-again believer in Jesus, not to mention he was a Gentile, which the Jews called a dog, okay? And yet, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared in, at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? The angel said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Huh. What does that mean? God took notice of the works of this man who was acting in faith even though his faith was as yet incomplete. And I believe that this reminds us that God reveals more of himself 
to those who respond to the revelation that he has already given. You know, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The word shows us in Romans 1 and Romans 2 that God has revealed himself very plainly in creation and that, that even, even heathen people have a conscience. And that conscience either accuses or excuses them based on how well, how well they live up to what they know to be right and wrong. So, so a person who's sincerely seeking after the Lord, well, well, I mean, what does Jesus say about those who keep seeking? What's he say? You will find. Thank you. I hope most of you knew that in your mind. <laughs> and you just didn't say it out loud. Okay? If we bear in mind th that among the unsaved, Scripture says, no one seeks God, not even one. That's Romans 3. We can know that those who are seeking God have been enabled to do so by God's work on their heart. Anyway, so, so this angel basically says, hey, buddy, God has noticed you. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, <laughs> a tanner, whose home is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a, a devout soldier from among them, <coughs> excuse me, from those who attended him. And having related everything uh, to them, he sent them to Joppa. So simply put, the angel gave Cornelius instructions and he listened to the angel. And he did as he was told. By the way, for anyone who, who doesn't know this story, what do you think he was supposed to send for Peter for? Like, why was he sent to get Peter? Anybody? What? To hear the gospel. Thank you. This is the answer section today. Rather than allowing Cornelius to, to flounder about, you know, in ignorance, God chose to provide the means of salvation, which is the gospel message of who Jesus is and what God did through him. Now, why do you suppose that God didn't just share the gospel right then through the angel? That's a question for later. Don't answer that one yet. Okay. In the meantime, remember that God's right to choose means that not everyone receives the same level of opportunity nor the same exposure to the light of truth. And before we start to wonder if that's unfair, let's be reminded that no one deserves God's grace. Nobody. No one deserves it. That's why it's grace. It's unmerited favor. And what would be truly considered fair probably would be if all of us paid the penalty for our own sins. But instead, God paid the price on our behalf through the sacrifice of Christ. So, so he has the right to choose who will hear and even receive the message. But that doesn't occur in a vacuum, as this story shows. Okay? God also has the right to use. He has the right to choose. He has the right to use. And I want to clarify really quickly that the word use has kind of a negative connotation in our culture because uh, we think of, of using people uh, as selfish manipulation, right? Or as uh, abusing trust. And God doesn't do it that way. God uses people in ways that benefit us and benefits others. And I, I know this, and so do you. It can be a frustrating, degrading thing to be used by someone else, but it is an honor and a privilege and a joy to be used by God. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now we'll get to what was in the sheet in just a moment here, but I'd like to point out that Peter had as his mentor the only perfect example to ever walk the face of the earth. And he prayed. So Peter is following the example of his master, Jesus Christ. He, he's praying in, in his downtime between events or between meetings or, or whatever. And, and he took that opportunity by going up on the roof where he's less likely to be distracted by all the stuff that's going on in the house. And I, I think it's instructive to us. You know, I think we should, we should find ourselves more commonly in prayer, especially if we expect to hear from God. I mean, really, it, you know, let, let's, let's be honest. When was the last time that God spoke to you when you were watching football? Or playing video games? Or sleeping in? And I'm not saying those things are sinful. You know, it's, uh, recreation and, and rest have their place. But we are far more likely to experience God when we are in His Word and when we are consistently praying. So let, let's back to this vision. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, no way. He said, by no means, Lord, for I've, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And then the thing was taken up at once to heaven. What an odd vision. Right? I mean, Peter was confused. God told him, kill and eat things that were under the old covenant, ceremonially unclean for Jewish people. But it, it reveals God's prerogative once again. He is the one who determines what is clean and what is unclean. He is the one who can say what is common and what is sacred. Anyway, so uh, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. Well, that's a convenient coincidence, right? Just happened to show up at the same time? Of course not. They, they were right on time. God's timing is perfect. Why do you think they stood at the gate instead of coming into the house? Is there a big dog? What? Anybody? They were unclean. Gentiles would know that Jews had a law, not, not one of God's laws, but a traditional law, that they weren't allowed inside a Jewish person's home because Jews, and Gentiles, Jews considered Gentiles unclean. So that was actually very respectful of them. And, and while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men. And he said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And this paragraph, it's really interesting to me because it, it says that the Spirit said to him. And you know, I often read this in Scripture and I, I, I wonder how it is that a person can know what the Holy Spirit is saying to them and, and, and to know precisely what he's saying. I mean, is it, was it an audible voice? I don't know. But I believe the Spirit does specifically, in specific ways, speak to God's people. 
And it's difficult for us to wrap our, our head around this at times. And, and I think maybe the reason that we don't excel at discerning the Spirit's voice is because we're not listening carefully. And this goes back to the fact that Peter was praying. Okay? If we want to hear from God's Spirit, we should make room for His voice. Clear our, our, our calendars occasionally. Remove some distractions. For some of you guys that might be being in your closet before the kids get up on your knees. For me, it's best out walking outside and seeing God's beauty and creation. The primary relationship for any and every Christian to cultivate should be our relationship to our Heavenly Father. Can I get an amen for that? That should be our primary focus. If we're not doing this, we must, do, we must make time. We must take God. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And there's, there's a couple of things here. First, we see God's, God's right to use Peter as, as, as ministering outside of his comfort zone. I mean, as weird as it probably was for Peter, it's God's prerogative to overcome social barriers. You know, it's not until far later that Paul writes Galatians and we read about how they're, you know, in Christ we're all one. And how there's no male and female, no slave or free, no barbarian or Scytherin, no Greek or Jew. But at this time, that was still kind of new, right? Because remember, it's against the Jewish law to invite Gentiles into your home and vice versa. But Peter was listening to the voice of the Lord over the traditions, over the habits that he'd grown up with. I'd be willing to bet that many of us have, have prejudices that we're not aware of because of how we grew up or because of experiences that we've had. And I'm not just talking about evils like racism and classism. There are all kinds of favoritism, you guys. Some, some people have hard feelings toward a certain nation or a certain denomination. I think we, we as Christians would do well to examine our own walk of faith and see if there's any place uh, where, where maybe we've supplanted God's will with our own opinions, with our own preconceived notions, maybe even our traditions. We have to strive to see the world as God does. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. We're the ones who get hung up on externals, you know. We're the ones who put up artificial barriers between ourselves and, and other Christians or even other potential Christians. And to be clear, we, we, we must not accept false doctrine. We must not allow immorality to flourish in the church. Jesus and the apostles were very clear about that. But when it comes to social barriers, when it comes to skin color, wealth, education level, uh, your neighborhood, your nationality, none of that matters in the body of Christ. That stuff is not important. Of course, again, this is new. So Peter, he's, he's still skeptical, but that's going to change soon. Uh, by the way, earlier, uh, earlier when I asked why you think God had sent Cornelius uh, or told Cornelius to send for Peter rather than sharing the gospel message through the angel is because the biblical norm is that God brings the gospel through human means. God brings the gospel through other 
people. Now, that's not to say he couldn't do it in any other way, but that is the way that Scripture indicates that people hear the word of the Lord. I mean, there's a whole chunk of Romans you know, 10 that's, that's devoted to this. It reminds us, and he's, he's referring to lost people. Paul writes, How then will they call on him, Christ, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Romans 1.16 God spreads his message through language with human mouths and human hands. You know, some of us being the instruments for it to spread. Anyway, so here, we're, we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty here, so hang with me. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. This is a fairly common theme. You know, in Scripture, someone, someone tries to worship someone that's either uh, an angel or simply another human being, a missionary or whatever, and, and that, that person or that angel's usual, usual response is, is to be taken aback, right, and say, don't do that. Don't worship me. I'm a servant just like you are, right? Always, always, always give God his due. You know, whether, whether it's outright worship or not, you know, even, even if someone's remarking about uh, a talent that you have, you know, or, or how you look or how you can sing or whatever, just, just be cautious how you receive it. Don't ever accept what ought to belong to God, okay? Worship always belongs to God. Always. And any praise should only be accepted carefully and with a recognition of the one who has blessed you with whatever it is that you've got. Side note, <laughs> Jesus accepted worship from people. All the angels, all the other people. No, 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 don't worship me. Jesus accepted worship because he was the Son of God and God the Son. All right, continuing. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You know how it is unlawful for, for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So he's getting it now, right? He's catching on to what the vision means. Okay, so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. He still hadn't got that part figured out yet, right? It's interesting that Jesus, Jesus showed his disciples on multiple occasions that he had a heart for the nations, right? For the Samaritans, for Gentiles, as well as the Jews. Now, he did come primarily for the, the lost sheep of Israel, but he was constantly showing love toward those who had faith from other nations, but for whatever reason, that hadn't really occurred to Peter yet. And it would have felt really strange for him to enter the home of a Gentile. And yet, yet remember, Jesus went into the homes of those who were considered unclean. He even touched lepers, right? I love the fact, okay, that, that Christ would reach out and touch someone who is considered unclean. And instead of himself becoming unclean, he cleansed what he touched. That's you and me, folks. That's you and me. 
And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. Now, this is just a recap, okay, in case you forgot, because it's been a while. But, but I still want to reiterate the fact that like Peter, Cornelius was praying when God decided to reveal something great to him. Just putting that back out there again, okay? Let's make prayer a priority, church. So, I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, y'all, this is, this is huge, okay? And I'll explain why in a moment. But first, let's be careful not to misinterpret this. Okay, this, this doesn't mean that Cornelius didn't need Jesus. <laughs> you know, God didn't just say, well, Cornelius is a good guy. I guess he doesn't need to hear the gospel. You know, there's a reason that God chose to bring the gospel to Cornelius. And according to the passage from Romans 10 that I just shared with you, the reason is this, because hearing the gospel was necessary for him to believe. Without faith, how would he and his family receive the Holy Spirit? And also bear in mind, God's sovereignty determines who responds to the gospel as well as who hears it. This is the main point of Romans chapter 9, okay? And it comes up later in, in Acts 11 and Acts 16, so we're not going to go down that road today. But, but Peter's point here, okay, and remember, I said it was huge. This is that God's salvation is not just for Jews anymore. The tide has shifted. God's prerogative to choose people and to use people was all for his great sovereign purpose, to excuse people. To excuse people. What does that mean? To excuse us of our offenses that we've committed against him, to pardon us from, from the massive debt that our sins have incurred. Put simply, to forgive us. The door of forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin through Christ was being opened to all of the ethnoi, all of the Gentiles, all of the nations of the world. And to Peter, this was a shock, but it was a good shock. You know, as eye-popping as it was for Peter, the Lord was opening the door to eternal life outside of the nation of Israel. And the irony here is that God, God has hinted to it multiple times in the Old Testament. And Jesus himself witnessed to non-Jews. The first missionary for Christ to a whole village was a Samaritan woman, right? But see, Peter had to see it with his own eyes, which is about to happen, by the way. So, so Peter continues, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. I love how that's in parentheses. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And really, there's, there's probably decades 
worth of sermon material in these verses in the next few, but for time's sake, we're just going to touch on this. Okay, and, and my, plan, my plan for at least next week is to go back over verses 36 through 43. So if you feel like I'm not really doing them justice today, come back next week. Um, so very quickly, though, what is Peter saying? God sent his word to whom? It's right there. Israel, thank you. God, I'm glad you can read. God sent his word to Israel, pro- proclaiming what? The good news, thank you. Yes, gospel of peace through Jesus Christ. Peace between which parties? Between us and God, between God and man. Between God and man. We're, we're talking about what God has done to create peace where there was previously warfare between himself and mankind. And this was accomplished through the perfect sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who is now, Peter says, Lord of all. He is the king over all creation. Remember, the gospel is about who Jesus is and what God did through him. Okay? And then Peter gives eyewitness testimony to the things that Jesus did through the power of God's Holy Spirit working in him and through him and how he acted with righteousness and mercy and with full approval of the Father. That's important. Again, come back next week to go deeper with this, but but for now, continuing on. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Again, eyewitnesses. They saw this. They experienced this resurrected Lord. They saw him die. They saw him risen. And the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. this This is something that happened in history. Okay? This is a true thing that occurred at a specific point in time. Jesus died. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and it's attested to by physical evidence. I mean, Jesus, he wasn't a ghost. He was actually corporeally manifested in the body. They saw him eat. Okay? And this, this is what God did through Jesus. His sacrificial death paid for our sin, and his resurrection proves that his whole testimony about himself, it's all true. All of it's true, every bit of it. What God says is true. His promises are true. He is the Son of God and the Messiah. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is where Peter identifies his own part, right, in the good news. He and the other apostles proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one who was to come and be the final judge of mankind. And then Peter points to to the previous messengers of God, you know, the, the prophets, that had consistently preached the same message all throughout the Old Testament of repentance and, and faith, repentant faith for salvation. I mean, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ received forgiveness of sins through his name. Folks, God excuses us by forgiving our sins through faith in Jesus. 
We'll say that again. God forgives us through our faith in Jesus. God forgives us through faith. And that comes through Jesus' name. You know, the Greek word that's, that's translated name, it's the word onoma, and that means more than, than you know, than Mark or Craig or, or Debbie. Or, you know, that, that's, it's, it's, more, it's more referring to the power and, and the authority that are inherent in that person or that in, entity. Like, like, you know, stop in the name of the law. You know, that's, or in the name of love. You know, whatever. That, that, is, that, is, how, that is how the word name is meant. Okay? It means in the authority that's vested in that person. Okay? It shows that Christ's power and his authority to save, they are inherent to him. And, and those things, they were firmly, firmly established, by the way, when he accomplished his mission. You know, when he, when he finished everything, what did he say to his apostles? He said, hey, you know, all heaven, I mean, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, right? And we see in, in later in the, in the epistles, we see that all of creation has been placed under his feet. So, so the power and authority of Christ results in the forgiveness of sins for those with repentant faith. And guys, there, there's so much there, uh, but it'll be worth the wait for next week. Let's keep going. Here's where it gets really complicated for the up until then exclusively Jewish church, Okay. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. You know, you know what's wild about this? Jesus said back in John chapter 3 that, that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. He says, we don't know where it comes from. He, he, excuse me, not it. We don't know where he comes from. We don't know where he is going. And, and, and listen, there was no manufactured mood here, right? You know, it wasn't like the lights were low and the, the playing soft music on the piano. This, it, it was simple. The Holy Spirit showed up in power. Boom, Holy Spirit. Everyone there, Jews and Gentiles, experienced reception of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues and extolling, that means intensely praising God. And this was a huge surprise for the Jews because it, it meant that God was saving Gentiles too and that they were also part of the church. Now, y'all, there would have been a second surprise for Peter too here because since God poured out his spirit on the Gentiles prior to immersion in water, then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. It is God's prerogative to seal those who believe through the gift of his Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift. I know this, this passage is confusing maybe for, for some folks that will say immersion is the moment of salvation. Um, you know, they might say that, that receiving the Holy Spirit is different from indwelling. But here's my question. Is that important to the story? I'm going to say not. Okay? There's no doubt that the Bible very clearly teaches a correlation between baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit, whatever that looks like. Okay? But in this case, Peter saw the Holy Spirit manifest. And so he immediately ordered baptism in water out of obedience to Christ's command. Jesus commanded him. That's how you make disciples, right? 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, first and foremost. That's what you do right off the bat. And then teaching them to obey. Not just teaching them, teaching them to obey everything that he had commanded them, right? I think, I think that right there, I think, I think Peter, Peter saw the Holy Spirit. He's like, well, there's your proof. And he immediately commanded baptism. And I think that's our important takeaway from this. You know, when, when a person believes and they show any evidence at all that, that the faith that they profess is authentic, we should offer and encourage baptism immediately because that's what the Bible teaches. You know, rather than, we, we are so bad about this. We tried to dissect everything and determine precisely when the Holy Spirit indwells a person. And look, let's, let's remember, we don't know where he comes from or where he's going. Let's just be obedient to what Christ said, okay? For me, that means immersing you when you believe. For you, that means submitting to immersion when you believe. But only when you believe. I want to show you something, okay? Faith and baptism go hand in hand. Maybe we should say hand in glove. But like a glove with no hand, baptism without faith, what's it doing? Nothing. Doesn't do anything. The water's not magical. It's the plague of a good conscience toward God. And that is unto salvation. And that only occurs through repentant faith. If you have repentant faith today and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, then get this glove on. Don't waste any more time. There's always more to learn, right? We can all agree with that. There's always more to learn. We don't need to wait until we know everything because it ain't going to happen. There's always more to learn, but it starts with obedience. So that, that's for you guys on the fence, okay? Now for everyone else, okay, just please take this with you to think on, okay? It's God who saves. It's God who determines where his spirit goes. Don't ever assume then, okay, don't ever assume that God's saving power hasn't extended to someone when they have received the gospel, even, even if they, they look and they sound and they act and, and even believe somewhat differently from you or from me. Okay? That's on the Lord's hands. Salvation belongs to our God. Okay? But the question that you need to ask yourself is, have you entered into that salvation yet? You must have repentant faith. You must turn from your sin and turn to God. If you have done that, the word is very clear. Your first step of obedience. You confess with your mouth, you get baptized. And then you continue to walk in obedience. That's what the Bible teaches. So if you're here this morning and you believe, but you've never been immersed, you've never confessed your faith, do it. <laughs> if you're here this morning and you do believe, and you have gone through those steps, listen. The rest of your life, you're supposed to be walking with Jesus. I know we all have rough patches, you know. Sometimes it does feel like two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, five steps back. Sometimes it feels that way. 
But don't give up. Don't give up. 